You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 71 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we have a face of a BBL franchise. It is none other than Teo Ogadengbi, the face of the Surrey Scorchers. And as you'll hear in this episode, um, he does more than just play uh, for the team. His role goes beyond that. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show. He's obviously made his uh, debut in the BBL back in 2007. So he's kind of seen uh, maybe the, 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 the bit more of the darker days through until now, where I'd say things are in a, in a lot better position. Um and having done that that full decade plus of of years of service uh, in the league, he's got a unique perspective. And uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed kind of going into all of this stuff with him. Not only that, me and him go uh, way back. One of the few players that's still playing at a high level that I actually played with uh, back in the day, which you'll hear a little bit about on the show. So it was good to take a little trip down uh, memory lane. Anyway, before we get into the show, please check out our Patreon account, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can sign up to give us a monthly contribution of as much or as little as you would like that would help us do the work that we're doing. We cannot do it without your support. Please go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. As always, if you want to hit me up, if you want to give me feedback, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can reach me on every single social media platform at hoopsfix. I look forward to hearing from you. Let me know what you think. Um, And I think that is it. If you're watching on YouTube, Leave a comment below. Uh, as always, uh, let's get some conversation going. Here is this week's show with me and Teo Ogadengbi. Teo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So, uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, obviously, it's a bit of a crazy time at the moment. Um, and I think my angle for this this whole thing is kind of talking about being the face of a franchise. You know, I noticed, obviously I hit you up on, on WhatsApp uh, before we arranged this and I asked you to email me over some things. And as you emailed me, uh, you know, I noticed your email address is uh, Surrey uh, University email address, surrey.ac.uk. Um, you yeah. know, you've got Surrey Scorchers brand ambassador. Like what you are to the Surrey Scorchers, I think, is, is a little bit more than, than just a player, uh, so to speak. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to kind of hear... Uh, if you were to talk about your role uh, with the Scorchers, um, obviously first and foremost as a basketball player, but I guess if you were to encompass everything else that you're doing and that you do uh, for the club, um, what would you say? Um, it's hard because um, there isn't a set, there's not a set um, um, title for, for the stuff I do. Um, my hands are in a lot of departments across across the board at, at the Scorchers and, and at the University of Surrey. So it's hard. I, that's why I got to a point after a couple of years and I was like, guys, like, I'm sent out my email address, like, what do I put? Because everyone's got a title. What do I put at the bottom? Um, and we came, we just came to the ambassador role because there wasn't a certain place you could put me in because I, I do so many things over there. Um, and it all just basically started with me signing there. The, the first year I signed there, um, I basically uh, like marketed myself as more than a player because I didn't want to go there and be like, look, guys, just because I was looking at um, longevity. So I didn't want to just go there and be like, look, guys, um, it's Teo, I can play and that's it. So I thought, what? let me just offer my whole self and everything I can do and the knowledge I've got from playing here and playing there and being around British basketball for so long. 
Um, and that's kind of how it came about. So I'm kind of like, the way I look at it is I'm a player. I'm a player. So I give a player's perspective on any decisions that need to be made. So whether it comes, I've done so many things where it comes to kit, where it comes to sponsors, where it comes to uh, coaching, when it comes, I've done so many things. But if they need a player's perspective on it, I'm the first line that they will come to. Whereas other teams, normally most decisions is made from the coach to the GM to the owners. Um, I'm, well, I'm lucky at Scorchers that I've got a voice. The players have got a voice through me as well. So hardly any decisions go without um, either me knowing about what's going on or them crossing it by me. And you've got to remember at the time where we started, like it was a change of ownership. It was, an, it was a brand new franchise. We had lost the um, the old owners. So there wasn't, um, there. I wouldn't say there wasn't the knowledge, but we were making mistakes as we run along. So my input was, was kind of valuable into, okay, I've been here and we do this here and I've been there and we do that here like this. So, we kind of figured it on as we go along. And now as I'm more into my role, I just find myself getting into different things and doing different things. And as I'm coming towards the end of my career as well, it's really good for me because now I'm, I can move into different areas of, of the business, of the university and of the sports park as well. So it's, it's been pretty handy for me. So this this iteration of the, of the franchise, uh, you know, the Surrey Scorchers era, you know, began uh, 2015, 16. When yeah, you first good. signed, um, like you just said, you kind of you tried to pitch yourself on on on, I guess, being the face of the franchise. And I think it was it was kind of made clear when you did sign that this was a the intention of, was of it was being a long term thing. What was the conversations yeah. on the side uh, from the sort of the management? Um, to you like did you envisage it being what it is now do you think it's become more than what what you originally expected like kind of how has it all played out um i mean i never really saw it play out in any particular way if that makes sense i just knew that i wanted to be involved more than just showing up at practice and showing up on game day so I didn't really know how that would work so I've got to give a lot of credit to to Creon my coach and to Gavin Baker the GM because they really um put me in position to to uh give my advice and to and to uh, use my experience in 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 a in a good way so I didn't really envision it as in myself having lots of different roles I just envisioned myself being more than a player and I didn't at the time I didn't really know what that involved but as time went on and things were happening I was like oh okay yeah I, I know how that works this is what do you know what I mean and things just happened and it, it, it just trickled on um, and I just found myself slotting into to a few different roles and doing a few more different things um, and I just kind of knew because at the time I had a good I had a good relationship with uh, the GM Gavin Gavin Baker at the time, and what was happening is, um, at the time, my wife was playing for the their netball affiliate, which is Surrey Storm. So I would come home in the summer after playing in France, or after being at London, or after being at Glasgow, and I'd come home in the summer, and there would be stuff going on, like netball game stuff, and so I'd show up with my wife to watch, and I'd see him, and he'd be like, "Oh, how's things going?" And I'd break down my 
I'll break down my season or it'll be at Christmas and I'll break down my season and what things that are going on. So we kept a really good rapport. So we kept a good, a really good relationship during all that time. So it kind of got to figure out who I am and that we took that on into leading into signing me and leading into to giving myself a role. So through that relationship, he kind of knew the person I was and the vision that I kind of had for basketball as well. And that helped a lot in, in the direction of, of, of the role that I took. You, you, you're what, 33 now? Yeah, 33. How many years do you think you've, you've got left playing? Do you think you've, you're going to go as, as long as you can and potentially be you know, another, another Charles Smith and go to 40 <laughs> or, or whatever? Or, or kind of, have you got one eye on the end at the moment? Um, I, it's a hard question because I've been thinking about that for probably about the last maybe four years, like when, and I'm waiting for my body to tell me, okay, all right, this is, this is getting harder. This is not, so I mean, and I, to, to be honest, I haven't got to that point yet. So when my body gives me the indicators that, okay, this is, I'm, or I'm not keeping up with, with the, with the fresh talent that's coming in or I'm having a decline in, in my statistics or something like that, I think that's when I'll be ready to take a step away. But as long I feel like as long as I'm, I feel like I've been pretty consistent for the last few years in, in what I've been doing, um, and it hasn't yet taken a dip. Um, so I think as long as I keep doing that, and at the, at the point where it gets to be too much or too hard, I think that's when I'm going to take a step away. When it does come to you know, hanging your boots up and thinking about what's next. You know, you've already spoken about sort of having an interest in doing things outside of just of just playing. Do you see yourself going into, you know, the front office or the, the sort of the off-court side of things, whether it be with, with Surrey or, or a different franchise? Do you want to stay involved with basketball? Is it coaching? Is it Or is it something completely different? Like kind of what you... I think one... One of the interesting things, you know, for a player such as you, who's who's been in the UK for a, such a large part of their career, in a, in a way that a lot of other players that go abroad don't, you've had a chance to kind of lay some foundations and have much more stability potentially for when you do decide to stop playing. It's not like you're coming home to nothing, um, yeah. which is you know I think a situation that a lot of players end up finding themselves in. So, kind of yeah, what are you thinking about uh, doing when that time comes? Um... Again, I'm in a lucky situation, like you said. Um, um, I've got my um, my GM is always he's always on my case. He's always like, so Taylor, what are we doing? Like, what areas of the business can I help you get training with? What areas of the business business can I push you towards to um, to to kind of make that transition easier for you? So I'm very lucky in that in that kind of term that they're willing to make this make this journey easier for me as well. I haven't yet pinpointed anything um specific that i okay i definitely want to do this at the moment i'm i'm in kind of like a, a good phase where i'm playing with different things um and i'm waiting for something to to grab me um and then i'm gonna fully take it on when the time is right and fully take it on i i 100 percent would love to stay in the the business of um basketball and the business of um the scorchers because I've still got a passion for it, so I feel like that the passion for playing can transfer over to whatever I do, if it's in the office or behind behind the scenes. I feel like that can transfer over because I'm emotionally attached to it as well. I feel like it will be a good transition. But then saying that, there's other um, areas that have opened up 
like you said, because I have been uh, in the UK so long, I've met different people. I've met uh, CEOs of different companies. So I've, I've met a lot of people that I've kept in contact with. Um, so I have a lot of people I can reach out to when I finish to try and connect these dots um, once once I retire. Do you feel like, I mean, you've obviously, your, your, your first season uh, in the BBL was 2007, 2008. And you, so you've kind of, you've seen... I guess some of the darker days uh, yeah, of the league, yeah. you know, like that. I mean, I remember 2009 ish, 2010 when I sort of first started covering it from a media standpoint. And, you know, when you look at where the BBL was then compared to now, it's just like worlds apart. Uh, and as much yeah. as the BBL still does get obviously a lot of criticism, I think yeah. that um, it's clear for anyone that's sort of been around that there has been progress in a lot of areas and of course there's, there's still work to do but mm. you know from from your perspective um you know we've seen over the last few years a lot more british guys you know coming home uh do you feel like that perception of the domestic league has started to change and there are more guys uh choosing to play at home like i I feel like before there was what there's been numerous situations in the past where people have chosen to go abroad even though they're earning less money just because they refuse to play in the BBL and they don't it's that sort of the stigma that it had yeah. where well I kind of feel like that might be starting to change and guys are starting to realize actually you can earn in many cases for where guys would be signing abroad more money in the BBL and you get to play back home there are obviously advantages playing back home as we've just spoken about um mm. and as someone you know like yourself who's, who's spent a lot of time here like I'd be interested to kind of hear your take on on that whole sort of situation. Um, like you said, like it's 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 been a journey playing in the BBL for so long. I've seen teams come, teams go, money come, money go. So it's been some parts have been rough, but some parts have been good as well. Like you've seen, I've seen t teams get get built up to it's teams like Leicester the way they've built themselves up now to the, to the pinnacle they're at now, like it's, it's really good. Uh, Newcastle being able to sustain such a high level of what they're doing on and off the court. So it, it's good. And they've got, both teams have got the arenas now. And if you would ask me my first year, would some of the teams have their own arena? I probably would have laughed just out of, out of disbelief and out of being so young and coming into, into a league like that, I, I probably would have laughed. But, um, it's. I do feel like there was that stigma there, like you said. There was that stigma of um, of our league just not being what it should be. People not getting paid the right amounts, and you'd hear stories of people just not getting paid or bad accommodation. You'd hear all these stories, but I think as time has gone on, I think there's been a standard, and I think the majority of teams are holding that standard quite high. Um, so I think it has got better. The level, the level of players coming in, is is consistently getting better. We're getting good D1 players, um, and now the the British guys are, are um, considering considering playing in the BBL. Not not all of them. Have, I wouldn't say they've all come home, but a lot more of them are considering playing in the BBL. And I think it's it's had a trickle down effect. You get one guy that comes and is successful. And, and lays the map down and other people are like oh okay can I find a team that can offer me a good situation and and then it trickles down more people come and, and, and it fills in and I do think if you're if you are a player when I do have this conversation with people and I do think if you are a player 
and you are realistic about playing basketball and you can find the right situation, I, I do think the BBL should be a viable option for you. I just don't think everybody should just be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go play in Europe in in a lower league and take uh, hundreds when you can come and play in, in the BBL and get more than that and build a base for yourself uh, and have outlets for the future as well. So it's it's difficult because everyone's situation is different. Everyone's um, skill and talent level is different. So different things fit in in different places. But I do think that it's becoming more of a, a option for, for people to play in the BBL, especially uh, high-level British talent as well. You're talking about areas that you could would like to see the BBL improve on or things that could uh, really be pushed forward over the coming seasons, years. Is there anything in, in your mind that, that sticks out? Um, for the BBL, um, I do, I've always said like um, getting us good coverage on something, just getting us seen uh, throughout the season that always needs to, even even if something falls through, just get us out there, just put us out there, just put the games out there and let's see what happens. Whether it's not the right deal or not, just put us out there. I'm always, I've always said that we need to be, there needs to be somewhere where it can be seen for young players to see it, for general public to see it. That That's always been probably my, my main thing. Just get it seen, get people to see it. Um, I mean, it's 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 a hard question to ask. <laughs> to I go, I I just I'll start with the TV one because I could go into so many. Yeah. I start with the TV one because stuff that can come off that that trickles down from that is it's endless really. Once once it's out there and the views come, it's endless in terms of money. You know yourself in terms of money and stuff that comes off of that. And as I've been in in the offices when all these money conversations are had, like it starts to filter through to my head now and I'm seeing it on a, on a bigger picture. So my main one would be just getting out there, getting the, getting the views and then things will trickle down from that. One of the, one of the sports that people consistently talk about, uh, that's when I think when we're sort of talking about basketball and, and where it could be is netball. And obviously your wife, uh, w- 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 is she still, is she still playing now or is she, she's not playing anymore? No, she doesn't, she doesn't play anymore. Doesn't she's play retired anymore. now. Um, <laughs> and obviously that, so that would have been one that you would have seen firsthand. And I think, you know, their sky deal, they ended up, they ended up paying for the production, right? Uh, yeah. in return. And then they were able to then sell that inventory, the sponsorship, and obviously create a product that allowed to allow the sport to grow, um, off yeah. the back of having that TV deal. Do you think like uh, the All Stars Championship is something that is positive for the game? Uh, you know, Surrey obviously won it. Was it twenty eighteen that you twenty yeah twenty eighteen yeah that you won? So it's you know the winners obviously get a, a well it's it's a hundred thousand in split up between between the the teams. Was it twenty five yeah, for the winners? I think we ended up yeah we ended up with twenty five yeah. When you talk land, I mean the crazy thing is. Obviously, it's an adapted version of the game, right? Uh, mm. But you're on Sky, so you, there is the visibility there. But there yeah. are some gimmicks, you know. I, me personally, like, it's hard for when I look at it, it's hard for me to knock it because it does invest money into the game. It does give the game exactly. a level of vis- visibility. But at the same time, I'm like, 
is that what we have to do to be able to get basketball some mainstream coverage? Like, do we have to create these golden buzzers and you know, mm. uh, stupidly long shots and and whatever else? Like, I'd be interested here. What's your kind of take on on that whole situation? Um, so for me, um, as a player, obviously, when it was announced, I was super happy because I was like, okay, cool. It's another trophy to win. There's money and there's more eyes on the game. Okay. That was my initial thoughts. Um, obviously, and then the rules came out and I was like, ah, what's going on here now? This is a bit, this is a bit uh, sketchy. But once I actually got on court and you get adjusted to the rules, it's just basketball at the end of the day. The Once the Golden Buzzers burst the case, it's double points. It, it adds a, di- a different challenge onto the game, but it was everybody was still out there playing basketball. Like, no one was really doing anything out of character. So um, I'm, I was all for that tournament. Like, even the years that we didn't do too well, I wanted us to win. So I was all for that tournament because, like you said, it, it, it brought it brought a different audience. Um, it brought money into into the game as well, which which uh, most BBL teams needed anyway. And it added another trophy onto the... Com- it added more competition onto it. So I was all for it. It brought it brought matchroom sports into basketball as well. So, I mean, I don't see how it could have affected the BBL neg- negatively or affected the game negatively. So even though um, we don't know what's going to happen with it, if it's gone or not, if it's coming or not, or if the if they if they pulled out on it um but it being there it helped throughout those years because we we were on a major platform we was on sky and it was a major platform i was going uh random places and i had people just coming up to me saying oh what you play possible i saw you on sky like sky sports over there and i was like oh yeah that was the year we won obviously because we got the most the most airtime and so for me, that was that was a that was a massive because I'm like, first of all, I'm like, damn, this guy he's randomly spotted me on the street, didn't know, like it's not like he spotted me because he was like, oh, that's terrible. He's he was just like, oh, I saw you on TV because I flicked through and I was watching the basketball. So I mean, that was a massive like. So have has that is that guy now a basketball fan? But he's he knows about basketball through that. So I don't I don't see. I think more stuff like that would help build. Obviously, it's going to take a while, but it would help build would help build basketball and just get more eyes on it and more uh, and who knows another investor could see that tournament and think oh that's a good idea and throw money it's it's more eyes i feel is is the better i was gonna ask that uh i don't feel there's been any official confirmation that it was cancelled this year and it was originally scheduled for this year so i'm assuming you know there's obviously difficulties around coronavirus and everything else but Mm. is that the, the the general consensus at the moment it could still happen but it's kind of unknown what's going on I haven't heard anything from them as of for this year, so I'm not sure what's going to be going on. But I'm I would presume with the Corona virus going on, I'm not sure how 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 it would how it would run and how it would be beneficial for everybody. So because um, they were big on on the on ticket sales as well, that was a ma- massive thing for them. So I would be doubtful if it would run this year, but that's just my opinion. I don't, I don't have any inside knowledge or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, how mad is all this coronavirus stuff? Like, take us back to uh, last season when you started realizing that the season could end up getting cancelled. Like, where were you when you kind of found out that it was a potential option? Do you think that the trophy final should have gone ahead? Because obviously, there's a lot of controversy around that. Um, mm. They kind of managed to get it done. Like, yeah, like. 
I'd be interested to kind of hear your your thoughts around it all. Um, so where was I? I was. I remember the first time I got a little bit nervous. We was actually in Glasgow, and I remember I was sitting down watching the TV. I think this was around around February, and I was a little bit nervous. I was watching the TV. We was in the hotel. Um, I think before after after we played the rocks. And I was watching TV and I was watching them build that massive hospital in, in I think it was Wuhan or somewhere in China. And I was like, oh, this is this is getting kind of serious. But I still put it back to, to the back of my mind. Um, then fast forward to, to April and it just all exploded. And um, I'm getting I'm getting my teammates uh, saying, yeah, we, we want to go home like it's. Before before everything closes, we want to go home. Uh, the BBL's not telling, hasn't said what was going on um, until later on. So it was it was it's never I've never seen anything like it before in my years of playing. Um, in terms of the the final, I just wanted every everybody to to be safe. I just wanted everybody to be safe. I I think that um, in those kind of situations, like player safety play health should always go first um and i know i I looked on twitter i'm not um a massive one to throw my opinions out on twitter i tried to stay quiet um it's quite even kill um but i did see on twitter and people were were complaining like is is was the players safety put first or is was were the bb out to just get the money and 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 run um and I understand it from both perspectives. I mean, if you've put an event on and that event um, will bring you in majority of your income, well, a lot of your income for the for the season, I understand it. But from my point of view, I was high on, on um, player safety because, I mean, it's that's it's invaluable. There's no price. There's no price on it. Um, but I also got to shout out both, both teams because it was a really good game and they both... Both teams went out there and 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 put on a good show, um, despite what was going on. They all both teams put on a good show and it was a, it was a really good final, especially with the uh, the, the storyline behind it all. It was it was a, it was a super final. So um, to summarize, I don't, it's hard. Would, would I have played if if it was if I was in the situation? Uh, yes, because I'm a competitor and that's what I do and that's a chance for me to win uh, uh, a trophy. But looking back on it, was it the right decision to to have the final? I would hate to see if something broke out there and and I would hate to see that. So from stepping back and looking at it, I would probably say, like, let's put the, the safety of the players first. Which I would like to see done more as well in the BBL. I would just like to see, <clears throat> I don't know how to, what you would call it, but some sort of care package, some sort, something to say, okay, you guys play in our league. Let's 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 take care of you. It could be anything from. I've had conversations with a lot of the captains as well about um, player associations and stuff like that. But it gets to a point and then it just stops because there's there's there isn't any outside help, so mm. it's difficult for for twelve captains or whatever nine captains to get together. And there's there's different factors involved in running an uh, organization like that. There it would have to be um, 
it would have to be uh, money coming from the players and it's tough to ask for players to give a certain amount of their their paycheck when they might not be earning loads. So um, it's just there's just so many. But I would like in the future, if I can do anything, I would like to see something for the players in our league because I don't feel like there's anything for the players. And you did ask me before, that's one thing I had on my mind as well about... Um, what can the BBL do as well? And I said, TV, I, I really would love to see them put, um, not just the players first, but put the players out there more. Like, I feel like sometimes they tend to, it's just vague in some, some of the things they do. Um, like if you're promoting, if you're promoting something, put the players as, as, um, as the face of it so people can relate to it. I, I, I just, it's, it's, t- it's tough to explain, but let's just promote the players. It, it, I'm not going to say let's promote British players, but let's just promote promote the players that are set on those teams and, and push them forward as the product rather than push, it sounds bad, but rather than push the BBL as a whole as a product because it's, it's easier to push players, individual players or a group of players as a product and sell that and then have it trickle down into okay, this is where they play, and this is do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but those again, those are just my views. And uh... you, you know, what, like all all of this stuff, and this was actually on my to ask list. Uh, all of this stuff could be driven by a players' union, you know, and and we hear it yeah. all the time. Like, and you know, so many guys will, will will say there needs to be a union, but it. And I've had conversations even this summer. Actually, I've had conversations with two different players. Um, one in the BBL, one in GB International, who've both said they're gonna they're looking into it and trying to set up a union, um, because that is like you know as we've just seen, especially you know in the NBA uh, with with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the players have all the power ultimately, you know, and uh, if it's just about being able to. As the, as it is the case with any workers' union, it's about getting everyone yeah. on the same page and trying to bring together the individuals uh, into a collective because that you know yeah. that will allow you to put stipulations in place. I know Kieran Achara was obviously very vocal about it, and I think he, st- he still he still is. But um, yeah. and, and the things he was speaking about was about you know physio staff, rehab, yeah. prehab, yeah. Um, medical care, insurance, like all of that uh, stuff, which all should be which all should be standard. Hundred percent. All should be standard if 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 you're an athlete playing in the highest league in your country. But um, it's not. But and it's. I don't feel like it's anybody's fault really. I just feel like there's a lot of hurdles um, we're coming up to to try and get to that final point of having that union. Um, um, I hope. I, I hope I remember, it gets. I, I hope listen, it gets there. Sorry, I listened to. I listened to. Um... Mark Robinson on a podcast and he was involved obviously with the with the old players union back in the day and he was saying that uh I don't know whether it was his friend or they had some type of connection to a to a lawyer uh, and basically that allowed it to sort of be driven very much with the correct protocols and with sort of having the legal um punch behind them to give them some credibility and sort of know what they're doing so yeah I mean maybe that's an option but I do think like when I think about you know who in if we're talking about um a union on the side of the bbl like you're one of the first people that comes to mind as someone that 
would be very good to be involved with that and and sort of at a higher level in, on the organisation side because like you're saying you know your role at the at the scorchers right now is essentially to be that liaison between the players and, and the management um, you've been and seen it all over the last decade plus in the BBL uh, you've got relationships with players you know all, all up and down the league um, you know maybe that is a, a task on the to-do list it'd be interesting I kind of asked like we, we spoke about sort of the coronavirus but you know we've seen how it's impacted sports across the world and we've seen stories from various different European leagues um, about budgets being slashed sponsorship budgets obviously TV deals potentially being reviewed um, because commitments aren't be able to be made obviously because you're not allowed to sell tickets or, or have as many fans there you're not selling as many tickets so revenues are down when you look at the impact uh, on the league this coming season, based on kind of, I guess, what you know at Surrey and, and your conversation you've had with other players across the league, do you see it having a big impact? Um, do you think the uh, budgets are going to be down significantly? Do you see the league starting on their proposed, what is the proposed start date, October, first week of October? Do you see that all happening? Because, mm. you know, we've seen at the start of all of this, it was very much... Um, Multiple people said, "If if we can't have fans, it's completely non-viable. Like we, you know, the league can't yeah. run without fans. Like, uh, how do you see that playing out? What's your kind of your anticipation for the coming season?" Um, well, it's definitely going to have an effect on the season. There's no, it's such a massive, it's, it's a massive thing. There's no way it cannot affect the season, and it. I think it already has, in terms of if you look at the signings, um, players that. Um, Again, like we talked about before, that may have taken contracts overseas um, are staying home. I think the the COVID has something to do with that as well. I think it's gonna it's gonna be a hard season for <clears throat> for a lot of the teams, especially at the start, because if we can't if we can't get the BBL, is, there's no way it's gonna work without the without the bumps on the seats. I can't see it working without the bumps on the seats, um, especially with um, the teams that own their own arenas as well. So they've made that massive jump to get their own arenas and now this has happened. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. If we look at the... Um, um, I know Glasgow are having some some difficulties as well. So it's, it's there's no way... It's definitely going to shake up the league a little bit. In terms of the product that's going to be put, be put on the floor, I don't think it's going to have an effect on that because if you look at most of the teams already... Most of them are in training and already most of them have got majority of their players already down and, 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 and on the ground. But I do think from the finance point of it, I do think it can have an effect. We just have to wait and see um, what the government's going to say about um, spectators in in the arenas up to, up to the start date. So um, I guess that's what it all falls down to. If, if we can get numbers in, I think it, everything will be fine. I think the teams that can't that can't will have to wait a little bit later to play some of their home games is what I'm hearing. So it's it's already having an effect. So it's definitely gonna have an effect, I think, all the way through the season. So and I think it's gonna be a different season to any other in terms of in terms of that. So I think we just have to wait and see until until everything pans out. How was the lockdown personally for you? Um for me it was good. Um um, I've got a growing family, so it gave me the opportunity to just to to sit down for a while. It wasn't very long because I'm not a, I'm not good at doing that. I need to 
be active. So um, I was probably probably in the house for about I want to say maybe three weeks at the beginning. Um, and then I had to, I had to get out and I had to get active. I had to, I was out running and then um, doing stuff. Um, but it was good. It was a time to reflect on stuff, to reach out to people and, um, make re- new relationships. And, um, it, it was good. It was good. I got into some other, some other stuff as well, a little bit of boxing and stuff. So I tried to keep myself, um, in shape, um, and, yeah, it was it was a good time. I've, I've I've got three kids, so I was mainly occupied by them um, at home. So yeah, it was it was it was a good time. I think sometimes you need a, a bit of that, just sit down and and chill for a bit and take everything in. And I think that's what lockdown allowed me to do. So, do you think we're going to see a lot of players this season uh, being a little bit, especially at the start of the season, being a little bit more off than usual, just from having uh, perhaps more of an extended break and a shortened season last year. Um, yeah, I think maybe the first few games might be a little bit, might be a little bit dusty. It might be a little bit rough, but I think once once we get in the heat of competition, I think everything will, will flow fine. If you look at the signings that people have made and the teams that people are putting together this year, the BBL, it's not, it's there's there's not no shabby teams going on or anything like that so I think the level of competition will be will be at where it was when we left off um, and if you if you look around at most of the majority of the players players were doing what they had to to um, to keep up the scratch I mean um, the good players I guess were doing what they had to to keep up the scratch whether it was playing outdoors whether it was finding your your local hoop outside it doesn't matter what it was. Playing with players were doing what they could to try and keep in, to keep up to scratch and keep up to date. And so, um, I think the first bit of it might be a bit a bit sketchy, just getting back into the flow of it. Especially if it goes, if we go straight back into having uh, all the fans back in as well, because it will be a period of time where we haven't played in front of large crowds. So, especially if we're going back into the bright lights, it could be a bit helter a bit hectic but um i think for the majority of it hoop is hoop so it will just get back to normal i've been uh i've been loving the updates on the the surrey uh surrey training bubble how's that been obviously you've had a lot of names coming in a lot of guys there can you kind of talk about what it's been like uh sort of the environment and sort of going up against various different guys yeah it's, it's been great i mean it was our opportunity to get back into into on court um, and Creon came up with the idea of let's just let's just fully go into it and let's fully get guys in and let's just let's just hoop. So we was hooping Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday and Thursday Thursdays was more skill orientated and we do drills and stuff like that. And you know what it's like in the basketball scene. Once one picture went up, Creon's phone was inundated with messages of other people that wanted to join because it was one of the few um, facilities that was open as well there's still a lot of a lot of centers yeah. that, were, that were locked down at that point right yeah and credit to um our gm and and the building as well we had to go through like you had to go through a lot of procedures just to get in the building fill out forms temperature checks and, and all of that just to get back in the building but um because it was one of the only facilities we got a lot of guys down and a lot of people were to be fair, like in the summer anyway, we get a few guys down and um, we kind of have like a, 
open policy um, um, and we get players from other teams and because the way we see it and the way Creon sees it is like if we get a guy that's coming down that's at a high level I get to play against that guy and so if I'm playing for Creon like it's going to help me so we don't really turn anyone anyone away um, but the thing was at, in the bubble it got the numbers just got crazy so that's when we had to start um turning turning people away so we had we had we had good great competition there and we had like a solid i want to say two maybe a bit three weeks of um getting at it and going up and down um and it just became a thing creon creon had a little idea and we just rolled with it it became it became a thing nicknamed it the bubble and it became a thing shout out to um tom as well because he does tom R social media um guy he does a great job of like putting it all out there and uh, it got out there and then everyone came <laughs> pretty much definitely big shout out to tom tom bonnet he's uh he's done a yeah. great job and i think uh it's clear to me that you know guys like him obviously with joe pinchin's the the most prominent of of the lot who's obviously now in 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 uh chicago but uh yeah. it's clear that the asset they are to teams um, in terms of yeah. building the exposure for the players, building exposure for the team and letting people know what's going on because it does give us insight, which I think for teams that don't have someone like that doing that uh, that yeah. role, um, it's, it's quite, the, the difference is obvious, you know. So the, the, I've yeah. got to ask, the biggest the biggest name, and we've obviously seen him floating around uh, the Scorchers for a, for a few years now is Joel Freeland, you know, like what's the latest yeah. on Joel? You know, is there any chance that we're ever going to see him suit up in the BBL I'm sure there are plenty of people that are trying to recruit him is there any chance that we can see him take an ownership stake that's what I've kind of always thought um, potentially might happen but yeah I'd be interested to kind of hear your take on, on that whole situation it's interesting I don't know I haven't been told not to talk about this <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> I don't know where I stand with this actually um, in terms of Joel like so he's from the area so he's that's his first connection he's from the area he lives about i think he lives about 15 minutes away from me so he's from the area he's he's around um in terms of playing i think he's playing days are over with if i can say that you're gonna have to get him on here on one of the podcasts man i've been trying if, if you can if you can sort that out for me then then yeah. i will be forever him. grateful to like talk. speak to him because uh um. Yeah, I get my DMs aired, man. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, I've shot, I've, sh- I've shot my, I've sh- uh, shot my shot. Sh- yeah, I've shot my shot and uh, and been shot down. So, um, but yeah, he's been on the he's been on the attempted list for for a long time. So if you can make it happen, oh, I'll, I'll be forever grateful. I'll get him. I'll get him to talk. To, I'll get him to come and talk to you. I mean, he's a hard man to pin down because he's all over the world at different points of time. So, um, but from what I gather from him, our conversations we've had and him being around the team. Um, there's definitely different options he's looking at with us. Um, uh, he's in he's in the office. He's on the court. So I don't know really how much I can say. I don't know if I can. I don't know. So let me just say he's in the office. He's on the court. In terms of playing, no, I can definitely say that. I don't think he he'd be suiting up for us. So I don't know if that's breaking news and it's gonna go viral now that Taylor said he's not playing. But I said it, so it's done. Okay. Um, but, but there are conversations yeah, happening. Yeah, our conversation's happening. He's upstairs, he's in the office, he's on the court. Um, and yeah, he's he's just a great guy to have around. Anytime 
um, you have someone of his caliber that um, has played at that kind of level and understands the game that he does. And he's just even besides basketball, he's just a great guy to have around. And um, he's always he's been through, throughout last seasons. He's been supportive of all the guys that we've had in. He's been throwing out tips. He he knows the game. He helps out in different ways he can. Um, um, and we've obviously us being an organisation, we jumped on that, and um, we're going to see what happens with him in terms of a role coming up or whatever he's going to do. We'll see what happens. Awesome, big so, time. Uh, I appreciate yeah. you tiptoeing around it, but giving us some information. So yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> that's, that's great. I don't want to be breaking headlines. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I understand. Um, so the other advantage, obviously, playing at home is that that uh, you know you, you will get opportunities that you wouldn't get abroad. You know, when you when you go abroad, you would be um, a foreign player, likely only there for one year, and as a result of that, it's hard to sort of build those roots, as as we've kind of discussed. Mm. The brand that you have obviously become involved with is Puma. Um, I need to ask you, how did that come about? Like, obviously, Puma, uh, as far as I'm aware, like, are not really doing a lot in the UK basketball wise outside of you (laughs) so uh you're gonna have to tell me uh what is the situation of puna puma like how has that come about um it's hard because i want them to i want them to be involved in in british basketball i I really want them to come in and and just bless us with the but it's hard because they're such a massive organization we're just not on their radar just yeah, yeah it's just so hard so the conversations i have with them they're always nice and they're always polite and they're great people. The people that, I, that I've got in contact with and uh, um, I've built a relationship with over the last, I want to say, three years now, they've been supporting me. Like, they're all great people. And I'd say, like, let's do this or come to the BBL final. But, uh, I mean, the, the people that we're talking about, they're going to have meetings uh, in at Jay-Z's house. And so it's just, the, it's hard for me to... It's just the the levels that it's just so it's so difficult. Yeah. Um, it just came about. I I, I have a f- well, obviously being based in the UK is a lot easier. You meet a lot of people. So I have a friend um, that um, uh, works for Rock Nation, and obviously Rock Nation are very heavily affiliated with um, with Puma. So I just reached out to him. He put me in contact with someone else, and that's just how the ball started rolling. Um, and obviously, I've got like a, I wouldn't say a heavy following on social media, but I've got a core following on social media um, and they like that. So um, they've just been supporting me um, in terms of on-court stuff, off-court stuff, anything I really need. They've just been supporting me massively. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that because they, they don't need to do that. Um, um, it's just become a relationship, a good relationship over the last three years. Um in terms, I keep I keep throwing stuff at them in terms of oh, let's do this, let's do that. But again, it's it's such a big organization, and they've got so many other things that headline them. Like it's it's tough for them to, it's tough for me to get a seat at the table. Basically, that's the that's the um, that's the gist of it because because it's such a massive, and they are heavily involved on the American side of the basketball thing. So. They're fully invested in that. So for them to now come down to um, to a smaller country, to a smaller market, to a, everything is is small when we're talking about the BBL in terms of, of Puma. So I've just been lucky enough to uh, to be in good connections with some people over there, and I'm 
if they're listening, thank you. I'm forever grateful for that. How many other players are hitting you up for a bring in now? Everybody, everybody. <laughs> I, I mean, bet. I know everybody, everybody. And people think it's just so easy that <laughs> I can't explain it. People just think it's so easy. I can just make one phone call and then boom, they're the, they're the next guy. It just doesn't work like that in 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 the industry. And I don't really know how to explain it to people. So a lot of people out there probably think I'm like an arsehole and I'm taking everything or but it just doesn't work like that so yeah. it's hard for I know I know the other guys that have had um, Nike deals will know that I'm talking about because there was a period of time everyone was getting those Nike deals so I know those guys will know what I'm talking about because they probably had people hit them up and saying oh can I get this or can you do this or can I be on it just doesn't work like that so it's hard for people for me to tell people for me to tell people that side. So normally, I just say when someone asks, I'll just say, yeah, yeah, I'll see what I can do. And then <laughs> nothing really happens because that's that's just how it works. How, how much do you, like, do you have any other sort of uh, uh, deals or, oh, have I lost you? You were just frozen. Oh, no, you're back. Um, how many other deals do you have? Uh, do you have any other deals like brand deals or ambassador deals um, going on? Like, and when you're talking about sort of how they come back, do you, do you find that it's a situation where you've very much got to hustle for them yourself? Like, you know, before the Puma situation, were you very much like hitting people up, trying to make connections, um, build those bridges? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. So I had like a, there was a period of time, I think it was like my second year at Surrey, where I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to use my social media platform and I'm going to hit at as many people as I can, as many people, products as i can and try and see what kind of feedback i do get from them and it's just it's just hit and miss like sometimes you can just get someone that might love basketball and might just hit you back and say yeah i can do this i can do this and you can do this um or sometimes you, you'll just get air like they won't even reply to the message so it's just hit and miss but i do think um players like should try and take it upon themselves to reach out to different brands different organizations and see what they can can do because I I did take a good solid year to just hit up different organisations, products I like, products I would use, um, and say, look, this is what I do. This is uh, the platform I have. Um, I like your products. Like, what are the chances? Do you know what I mean? Along those kind of lines, and you do get people coming back um, uh, in in a positive manner. But again, you're going to take some L's. That's just how it is. So. Um, I think at the moment I've got quite a few. So I've got um, got a couple snack companies. I've got um, underwear, and I've got the Puma. Um, and then oh, on 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 the other side of it as well, I did reach out to um, some charities as well that I wanted to um, get involved with. So that was another thing that I used my social media platform to so i'm on i'm ambassador to a few charities that are close to me close to 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 my heart as well so um that's a, uh, do you want to shout them thing. out uh center point that's center point um uh they're a charity for um young homeless people uh between the age of i think 13 to 20 something um and they just help house uh, homeless people that go through rough time so yeah shout out to them um yeah so i just think um i think if you can be proactive um it's difficult because in this level of uh basketball that we're at um 
at a higher level, you'd have your agent do all these things. Um, but I think at this level where we're at, you're not going to get your agent's not going to do that because he's got 50 other players as well. So he's not going to be hitting up different different organisations and different companies to uh, to get you products or to get you because it makes life a lot easier if you're playing and. Uh, you're getting your shoes for free or you're getting your protein shakes for free or you're getting your training for free. It just makes stuff easier and it's, it can take off the load of your, you can use your salary for, for other things. So it just, it just helps. Uh, so I do think players, I know, I know some do, but I would advise like, just reach out. Like you, what's the worst that can happen? They won't, they won't reply. It doesn't take, it, it won't, well, it shouldn't hit your ego. So, <laughs> If they don't reply, they don't reply. Some do reply, some don't. That's just how it is. But if you can reach out, um, tell them about yourself a little bit and just see what happens and come back. And I've been fortunate enough to have a few people um, even get in contact with me. Um, so it's just it's just a luck of the draw, really. Do you feel like there's been a, a, a growth in the number of brands sort of commercially that are trying to get involved with British basketball, both the game and, and the players? I think so. I think so because I think now it's easier to market things um, with social media. Then there's different avenues you can market things, and uh, players can market things themselves. Um, they don't need you don't we don't need the uh, the um, BBL to market it for us or our teams to market it for it. They can come straight to us, and it can be we can put a post up or we can put a story up, and it can be there. It might be a smaller market, but some companies are smaller, so they need that smaller market. Or it could be location based. It could be anything. So I do think that more companies are reaching out to to players uh, through their social media, and I think it's it's a good thing. I think it, it it helps players and it helps it helps the game as well. Yeah, for sure. I always it's an interesting one with with brands in in the UK. Cause like you were saying, the levels of what they normally deal with compared yeah. to you know then coming into basketball, it's it's very very different and so as much as um i can see i can see both sides of the coin i can see it from the, from the side of like you know if you're a puma or a nike or whatever like you're you're dealing on such a scale uh with other yeah. organizations why would you even bother with basketball it's almost not even worth it because it's never going to move the needle in any type of significant way for the business for the bottom lines of the business yeah. on the flip side of that it's so cheap because it isn't that well commercially developed yeah for what is pocket change for these brands they could own the entire Mm. sport like if a nike or whoever wanted to come in and say do you know what like we want to own basketball in the uk and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this a long-term investment for what they'd spend on probably you know one single sponsorship activation (laughs) they could make a significant difference uh yeah to the entire game and in terms of growing the profile of the game and and everything else and you know I, i think uh the sport has really struggled because of a lack of big money coming in from from commercial sponsors, um, mm. and that's something that I would you know I'd love to see change. But I think yeah, it's it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it. I think most of the conversations I've had with those people that are in those positions, it's always they're willing to do things, but what can they get in return? I think is always I think it needs if that balance is found. I think then it becomes a viable option for them, even in terms of um, it's hard. Even in terms of not even 
even if it becomes a charitable thing, if they see that in some way it balances out, then it becomes viable for them. But um, it's it's so it's so like you said, the market is so small, and with what they're dealing with as well on the, on the other side of the of the world, other things that they're dealing with, other sports that they're dealing with, it's hard to then come to the table with um, such a niche and say, look, pump this in. But um, I'm hoping that at some point, like it goes back to that TV thing as well. I'm hoping that at some point they see the brand uh, of British basketball as an entirety, as a package and something will happen and something, it only takes one guy to have that interest and to, to push it through. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it will take over. I do think that that TV deal is uh, is massively important. If you, if you like, well, that's the other thing is that at one point it was looking like I felt like uh, because of the fact that so many sports were being cancelled or or, um, or weren't weren't able to play at the same level, it was almost an opportunity that didn't normally exist for the sport to be able to get in front of eyeballs that aren't normally yeah. there. Uh, yeah. Have you heard any murmurs about a potential TV deal this year? Um, I know there has been some swirl, swirlings around the Lions in Europe and whether or not they're going to get um, some TV coverage here. But uh, for the actual um, regular season, you know, uh, what's your take on that? Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything today. I heard something. I heard something earlier on in the summer, but I wasn't too sure how concrete it is. And now it just sounds like it was just a whisper. Mm. Um, so, but I hope I hope the that the people that are behind the scenes are pushing that that agenda and and trying to get us get us seen. But um, I don't I don't know. It seems like we're always looking for a better deal <laughs> when um, sometimes we just need to take take the deal that's on the table. So I don't know because I haven't been in those conversations with uh, yeah. with um, where the deal's on the table. So I don't really know the full full scope of it. But I just hope and pray that we can just get seen and get back on on screens again. So I don't want to I don't want to finish this before uh, going into some of the early years early years stuff. Um, we yeah. we so you you started out Ealing Tornadoes, which is obviously uh, Jack Mayevsky's club who we had on the podcast recently yeah. can you how did you first end up playing like go go into that with us um so way 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 back um i basically got invited by one of my friends to um a tra- to a, to join a team and at that time i don't think they were actually it was a small team it was actually slough tornadoes and i think it was then a few years later that they then got picked up by Jack and his crew and then merged and became like Elin, London United, Elin Tornado, something like that. It was all confusing to me at the time anyway. He's always had London United, um, isn't he? It's always London yeah, United. So, yeah, so we basically had to put that name on top of um, on top of uh, our um, Elin Tornadoes, Slough Tornadoes. Um, and that's basically um, the first team I played for. I, and to be honest, I wasn't very good at the time. I definitely wasn't very good. Um, I remember my first game playing and fouling out in probably like the second quarter. Um, yeah, which because it just wasn't very good. Um, and then from then, um, we played in the under-18s South Conference. Um, and we ended up winning that South Conference. And then I was too old to... Um, I left, but then they got promoted to uh, to the Premier Conference. Um, so after that, I then around that time I wasn't, I didn't really see it um, 
getting to where it is now, I didn't really think that, oh, I could, you're young. So I didn't really see it saying oh, this could be a profession. And obviously I don't, I didn't really see that many British basketball players around me. So, um, I mean, I had the likes of like, um, around that time, it was like Steve Veer, Walid, uh, Pete Depish, all used to play on the um, senior team um, and they used to play out of Brunel. Um, so I used to go to their games and watch and be like, oh, that's so cool. Like, hopefully I can do that. But I never really, even uh, still at that time, I never really associated that with professional basketball at the time. It's, it seems weird, but it just because in my mind as a kid, like professional sports athlete was, I don't know, uh, Ronaldo and like those guys back in the, so that's what I had so I couldn't really um, put it on to, to the professional side until I really got a little bit older um, so from then um, I then um, I then so I played uh, for London Towers um, and at that time um, I was just coming into the under-20 league, but then, then they ended up scrapping the under-20 league just as I was about to go into it. Um, so I ended up playing, I think I played Division 3 for London Towers. Um, played there for a few months, um, and then I tried uh, to go to the States. Um, I went up to the States for a period of time, um, got pushed around different tryouts at different schools, different universities, ended up... Um, getting an offer, offer at um, Temple University. But again, I was very raw. They saw the talent in me. Um, I was very raw. Um, so they offered me a half scholarship. Um, and for international student, it was like 30 grand. So I was, was like, mum, can you pay 15 grand? Uh, she was like, no. Uh, so I came home. So that's how that, <laughs> that's how that um, dream ended. Yeah. Um, came, came back home. Uh, just worked on my game a lot, um, and then obviously I'd had been in. I'd had been to like every um, uh, Steve Bucknell camp. Like as the years have gone, I'd been to every Steve Bucknell camp. So me and uh, and Steve had like a good relationship. He ended up being the coach of um, London Cabals at the time, um, and I was very raw at the time when he took me on. And he just knew that I was raw, but he knew I had some some sort of skill level, some sort of ability. So he was like, look it's going to be crazy for you, but come and play the BBL. And I was like, what the BBL? So he took me over, played the BBL. Um, in terms of team, we didn't have a great season, but in terms of myself as an individual, I had a pretty good season because it made me realize I could play at that level. Yeah. Um, and I was only, what was I? 18 turning 19, uh, 18, 19, maybe 20. Yes. Yeah, so this was, um, this so was the 2007, the... 2008 season. That was their first. That was yes. the first year, right? Yeah. The other thing before before yes. we go too far on the timeline, obviously, amongst all of this, you, I think, are probably the only player or one of the few players that are still playing at a high level that uh, I've actually played with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the Friday night scrimmages at Brunel? Yes, you I do. Love those man, yeah. I love those, and those like it's weird because those like. Going to all those scrimmages around London, they really shaped me as a basketball player because I was I was always out of my depth. I was always out of my element. I was playing with guys that are a lot older than me, guys that would talk a lot of trash, guys that like wouldn't respect anything that I said because I was just a, a skinny like young kid that just came and showed up and played. 
but like they really shaped like how I viewed basketball and how I played basketball and how I switched from like being myself and then getting on court and being the basketball player. So yeah, I do. I I love those um, those scrimmages at Brunel and I got I got, I got three anecdotes from those scrimmages. Right, so just to give people to context, when I when I was at Brunel. <clears throat> I was the chairman of the basketball club, uh, and so we'd have as a money-making thing for the club. We'd have these, we'd have scrimmages uh, where we'd charge a couple of quid. Obviously, a bunch of people would show up and not pay. Taylor was probably one of them. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we'd, we'd run these scrimmages, and uh, yeah, on Friday night, it would end up being uh, being being half decent. Um, and so I've got I've got I've got three really vivid memories of you uh, at these scrimmages playing with you. Like I've got one. Um, on a fast break, we were on the same team and I went, it was just me and you and one defender and I went behind my back to you off the bounce and you thought I was going to throw it off the glass and so it was just, it was basically ended up being a turnover and I, I don't know why <laughs> I remember that so clearly but I remember it really clearly and then we just had a laugh about it and you were just like, why don't you throw it off the glass? I was like, oh, I, thought it, I thought it was this and then um, another one which, <laughs> I don't even know why I feel the need to say this but I, I feel like there was one time where you tried to dunk on me and I blocked it. It's like my little claim to fame <laughs> that I blocked Teo one time at a Friday night scrimmage. And then the third one, which actually looking back on now is, is super nice, is when we was, out, we was outside, um, we was outside, I think after, after it finished. And you were actually telling me uh, that you were kind of pursuing this dream of being a professional basketball player and you wanted to be a pro. Because I remember thinking at the time, there's no flipping way. That you're going to be a pro, like I just remember thinking, like I just I can't see it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and then to yeah. see sort of where you were then, where like you were saying, you were very much a raw athlete, where you kind of you had you had raw talent, but actually you hadn't put it all together yet. And yeah. now you know, seeing what you've done over the last fifteen years, uh, and obviously, arguably, um, well, one of the best British players in the BBL, and, and one of the most consistent performers over the last. Um, five ten years. If you if you look at your numbers as well, um, it's incredible to see, and I think it's a it's a super nice story. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that was just a little trip down memory lane for me. That was it was was I was really excited to have you on just to, just to be able to talk about uh, those those Friday night scrimmages. So you, the other thing you ended up in Spain, right? Uh, yeah. Was that was that at Canaries Basketball Academy? Yeah. So um, there was a year. Obviously, another shout out to uh, Mid at Madness and Namo and um, all those guys out there. Um, there was a year we did Midnight Madness and um, I think I had won play of the summer or so- something, MVP, something along those. And the the prize was to go and spend a year at um, uh, Grand Canary Academy. So that's how I ended up um, going there. Um, so I was there for a whole year. Um, and that, that was, to be honest, that was one of the turning points in my life as well because that was such a challenge and it was, I was so out of my element and it was the first time I'd been totally immersed. Cause in the UK, if you're playing junior basketball, you're, 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 you're okay. You're not fully immersed in it. Like I, I was, I would go to, to college or university, or whatever. And I wasn't totally immersed in it. But once I got out there, you're totally immersed in it. It becomes something different. And because I didn't go to um, college in the States, I hadn't had anything similar to that. So it, it's basically a, a version of that. Um, I even think it's amped up a little bit compared to what they're doing in the States. And we're up in the morning at 6.30 and we're practicing and we're having doing lessons in between and 
three practices a day and we're running sand dunes and we're swimming and and I was totally immersed in basketball like fully and it was it was one of the points where I was like okay if I can get through this then I can probably do something in basketball because I looked to my left I looked to my right and people were dropping like flies when we was over there so um it was one of the turning points in 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 my basketball life where I was like okay if I can push through and get through this um, I know I can pretty much uh, play basketball and, and do it anywhere. And it really elevated my game because if you're playing basketball that much and at that level and you're being held to that kind of standard, um, and I was really taught different things about the game um, from being in Spain, different ways to play, um, and it really opened up my eyes a lot. So that was one of the turning points for me, and I'm forever grateful for that opportunity from um, from Midnight Madness and from Mama and then. So then you you come home and you ended up signing for for Guildford. Like in your head, were you thinking I'm going to sign in the BBL and uh, try and carve out a career there, or, or were you thinking in your head I want to try and you know uh, forge a path in Europe? Um, so off the back of coming out of the um, of from Spain, um, I had a few different options. Um, but none of them really. It was it's a it was a weird time because again I was still in that phase of of learning and and becoming a player, um, and coming out of there like um, I was over there with a lot of great players. I mean Joel Joel was out there, um, Menelik Watson was out there, Ashley was out there. Like some of the great players have have gone through there, and some players that are not even British that are European players that are are playing in, in top leagues of, of Europe have come through there. So coming out of there, it was kind of like, okay, so if I'm not doing what these guys are doing, then what, what is my ne- next option? So I had a few options to, to, to go and play over in Spain and be in one of, one of the lower leagues, but I still didn't quite believe in myself at the time. So, um, uh, came home and I remember I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I went to Nine Hill Carnival, um, and um, obviously knowing Mike Martin through from um, shout out to Mike Martin by the way, yeah. knowing Mike Martin through Midnight Madness and that he was like, why don't you um, see if you can come play play with Guildford? And I was like, uh, I was still at that point. I wasn't sure in my ability and I wasn't sure what I could do. I just what I just knew I had to keep working. Um, and that's how that opportunity arose. So I kind of jumped at that. Um, and once I got into the into into the Guildford Heat kind of system um, and understood what it took to play at the BBO, I kind of within the two years of being there, I kind of got got really comfortable at, um, playing in the BBO and understood what it took to to be successful as well and to keep a high standard and I had I had great role models I had I had Mike I had Julius Joseph I had great role models in terms of British players as well uh, things they were doing their work ethic as well so at that point coming out of Spain half of my mind was in Europe and going to play in Europe but I had doubts about my ability as well because remember again I only picked up a basketball when I was like 17 18 probably about a year before I started playing with you is when I picked up mm-hmm. picked up a basketball. So I wasn't I wasn't really sure. Um, so th- along those periods of times, like um, I could have gone and played in different areas, but again, like self doubt and like not being ready and a lot of things uh, came into into play. So 
the other interesting thing uh, about kind of your story is that, of course, the coach of, of Guildford was Creon. Uh, yeah. Who's now obviously your cu- current coach? Is almost like the whole thing has come full circle. Uh, yeah. When you talk about, I guess, Creon, your relationship with Creon and the impact that he's had in your career, kind of, what, what would you say? It's been massive, man. Creon's been like a a mentor uh, in just like in in all areas, in life, in and in basketball. Um, he's such a well-grounded person. He's such um, uh, a, a relatable person as well. Like there's no and an honest person as well, which is kind of hard to find um, uh, in the world as well. Um, and I've known him for such a long time. I think the first, I think I first met him was either when I was playing at Towers because his son, Caelan, was playing at Towers, or maybe at a, at a Bucknell camp because he was coaching there. So we go back maybe like, I want to say maybe 15 plus years. Um, so he's been a, a major factor. Even times when I wasn't playing for him, um, I'd still reach out to him um, when it came to decision-making and advice. Um, and he's just been, he's just been a, a, a solid person to, uh, to relate to and to, to ask advice for. Um, and another a good role model I've had like, throughout my career as well. So you did you did three years in Guildford. You had a season in London, uh, and then of course I'm obviously I'm skipping over bits here because I'm aware of time. Um, and then you did your, your year in France uh, with with mm. Calais. Mm. When you look, that was that was the fourth division, was it? it was fourth division? Yes, yeah, fourth division. Yeah. Obviously, you, you had a good season. Uh, personally, you ended up an all star that year. Um, kind of. What made you decide to to go abroad? Was that just an itch that you felt you needed to scratch? And then, obviously, going over to France, how did it? How was it compared to your expectations of it? And of course, you know, you ended up ultimately coming back um, mm. for the season after. Like, yeah, kind of. What, what's your take on on that whole situation? Um, it's just like you said. I think it is an itch you have to scratch. Um, um, I had to go and go over somewhere to see if, if if I could play. If I was at a level where where I could play overseas and be 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 a product that they've brought in to boost to boost whatever they're doing there to see if I was if I was that guy and that that year was really good for me it really boosted my confidence it really allowed me to to know in my head that okay look I can play at this level um, if not I can play at the higher level because at the end of the season um, the team wanted me to to stay and come back for next year but um, I wanted them to move up. They're, they're a small team and they didn't have the budget to do that so I wanted to move up so that's the only reason why I, I didn't go go back there um, like, like you said I had um, I was an all-star so I, I had I had to come back actually in the summer um, to play the all-star game because the all-star game was, was out of season um, so it was it was it was just a great experience for me and I felt like I did need to get out and experience something else and see what it's like as uh, to go to another country where you don't speak the language and 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 um, do your trade. Um, and obviously playing basketball, um, like everyone talks about it, like if you're in the BBL, everyone will say to you, oh, why didn't, why, have you never, have you never gone overseas? So like of my years of playing at Guildford and London, um, uh, at Cabels, like everyone would be like, oh, why don't you uh, go overseas and play overseas? So I was like, okay, everyone's saying it, like let me go 
and see what, what, what's going on. So I um, managed to, to get a, a pretty decent contract and I, and I went over there and I had, a, I had a great year and I would have stayed out there. I think my style of playing as well suited uh, the French game more than more than any other country I played in. So I had a, I had a great year out there. And um, like I said, I, I would have stayed out there um, if, so if not that the, yeah, if not that the team just did, just didn't want to go up. That was that was the only problem. Do you feel like you've missed out on anything by not having uh, more years abroad? I think earlier on in my career I did, and I was always trying to um, scramble out and find good good contracts overseas. And um, but I think now I look back at it, I think I definitely made the right decision because. Uh, building roots somewhere is, is just it's priceless you can't you can't really it's, it's just priceless you can't so it would have been a struggle for me to now come back at 33 and and try and get a mortgage and like it, it's just the the things they don't tell you <laughs> it's 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 crazy the things they don't tell you about playing overseas and having no uh no financial records to come back to the country. It's, 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 there's a lot of things they don't tell you about playing overseas. So, um, but at the time, I did want to. I was trying to get contracts and trying to play it overseas. Um, but looking back at it now, I'm happy with all the decisions I made, um, and I wouldn't really change. I wouldn't really change anything. Quickly looking ahead to this this BBL season, obviously not all full rosters have been announced. Uh, you know, Surrey is still in the process, but you know when you're talking about you guys, obviously you're bringing back Lavelle Cook, bringing back Skylar White. You've got you signed Rashad uh, Hassan. Um, how do you feel the Surrey rosters coming together? What are your predictions on the coming season for how you guys will fare? And then I guess, what's your take on the rest of the league? Obviously, London Lions have been the talk of the summer. Um, Plymouth are now making some noise, signing pretty much the London City Royals uh, players from back in the back, uh, season before last. So, uh, yeah, kind of give us a season preview, both of the Surreys and, and the league. Um, I think in terms of us, um, I think the, the signs we've made so far are pretty solid. Um, I think your, your struggle to find better scores than the people we just we, we just signed. So um I think we're we we will be solid. Um I hate to predict and say like we would be this and we do that because of my years of playing um I've noticed that that can sometimes backfire. So I like to just say we're gonna be solid. Um in terms of um the other teams here like London's London's uh team at the moment um like that's obviously the team the team to beat like even without playing the game they've already put themselves in the in the firing line um and then obviously Plymouth I'd say second to that um have obviously put themselves in the firing line and it's it's great it's great to to for them to bring that level of, of talent into into the league and for our guys like me to see that and be like okay look this is what we've got to do this is what we've got to come up against it's, so now I know locking into the season like look it's, it's, there's no there's no joke there's no joke teams around here we've really got to go in and, and be solid in what we're doing and London made some great signings I don't know how it will transfer over to the BBL in terms of who's going to play and because obviously it's a it's a bigger team for the uh, European uh uh, the European run so I don't know who's going to be playing what but and, and that doesn't really 
concern me that much either um, because you can only play who's on the floor anyway. So, but um, in terms of us, we're gonna. I think we've had a, a pretty solid um, trajectory in what we've been doing. We've had some lapses in some years, um, but in terms of what we've had to work with, in terms of budget, in terms of uh, um, fan base as well, I think we've been pretty solid in, in what we're doing. Um, we're always, we're always, 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 always first off looking to get some silverware. So that will be obviously definitely on on our on our plate. I feel like the team that we're going to put out this this year is going to be a very very strong team. Um, but you never know until you get out there in terms of um, the level of of players in the BBL. So we just see 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 where the chips fall. I'm very confident going into the season with just the signings that we've done already. Um, and there's more signings to come, obviously. So we will see. I know London are going to be strong. Um, Plymouth will be strong. Um, Leicester have always been solid. Newcastle have always been solid. So we're not we're not going into it um, thinking that because uh, of COVID it's going to be like a a free season or anything like that. Um, we're going in and and we're going to keep build, building on what we've been building and hopefully have a good season. All right, some quick fire questions just to just to finish up. Um, starting with uh, the best player that you've ever played against. Played against. Yes. Played with. Played against. Played, played against. Ah. We and then we could do played with as well. Do both. Mm. <laughs> Funny you say that. Last summer I was playing um, with TJ Warren in North Carolina, so I'm going to say him because he's the first name that popped to mind and he's hot right now so I'm going to say him um, yeah I'll say him for now uh, the best British junior player you've ever seen <sighs> junior player yeah when um, when I was coming up I always remember Justin being um, or like on my radar as one of the top top talents in in um, in London, if not in in the UK. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shout him out and say Justin. Uh, best coach you've ever played for? Creon for sure. I mean, he takes up a lot of your years, doesn't he? So <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> he wipes out a lot of other options you might have otherwise had. Um, yeah. And then the best the best British player you've played against or with. You're trying to get me in trouble, man. Um, There's too many to mention. Uh, uh, Joel Freeland, Andrew Lawrence, Ashley Hamilton, Matthew Brown and Manning, Luau Deng. Uh, the list goes on. There's too many to mention. If I missed you out, my, my bad, fellas. <laughs> Your favourite teammate? <laughs> Had a lot of teammates. Um, man, that's a hard question as well. Oh, oh. man, you stumped me there. I, I can't because if I'm going to say one guy, this could be like ten other guys are going to hit me up. You're going to sit on the fence. You're I can't answer that one. Yeah. What is your favourite basketball memory? Um, representing my country. Um, Representing England is always good. 
Um, yeah, I'll say representing is probably probably in the highlight. Highlight, yeah. And then your number one goal to achieve within basketball before you before you hang them up. Someone else asked me this on the podcast before, and um, one of the things I I I, I would hope and I would like like for, for, for like my legacy and my thing to do like when I finish playing is for guys to kind of see like the route I took and um, just know that that's an option like that makes sense to you because I know there's obviously from even from the time when I was young the, the options were play basketball go to the States go pro do you know what I mean so um, just to leave like a different footprint like a different avenue would would be great and if, if a guy can I don't know if in 10 years or like 15 years and I'm watching a podcast like this and a guy said oh yeah I saw Taylor and he, he went this route you know, that would be awesome to me like that would be like totally mind blowing to me so that would be definitely one of the things. Perfect. That's a perfect place to leave it. Tayo, thank you so much. Good luck for the coming season. And I'm sure we will speak soon and cross paths very soon as well. Definitely appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Blessed to be on. So appreciate that. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. But you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now. Uh, open up your podcast player. Go to the Hoops Fix podcast. You'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.